Hello and welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast. My name is Stephen Railston. I'm back again. I'm sure everyone is relieved to hear um, after a mini hiatus from the podcast. And we're here today recording on a Friday afternoon. I'm joined by Samuel Luckhurst. Uh, Samuel, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. You're you're back where you, you normally belong, but if anything, you should be in the northeast this weekend. You, you've left at the wrong time, I think, given the uh, the huge game tomorrow. Uh, that the Tyne is it Tyne Weir? Is it Tyne Weir Derby? It's not Tyne Tees, is it? When it's at the stadium, I'm like, yeah, I believe so. That's the correct the correct <laughs> way to put it. Um, nobody wants FA Cup upsets this weekend, Samuel. Put it that way. Um, Manchester United fans, or any of our fans up and down the country, because of course United have that game against Wigan uh, on Monday after the weekend. But uh, I believe you and Rich already kind of looked ahead to that game earlier in the week. So we're just going to have a look at a few transfer bits to start off this podcast today. Uh, have a look at the situation with Jadon Sancho and Borussia Dortmund. Look at the contract situations with Rafa Varane and, and Anthony Martial. And look ahead in part three at the visit of Surgeon Ratcliffe and uh, Dave Brailsford to Carrington as well. I should say Sir. I'm denying of his privileges there as well because Sir Dave Brailsford is a Sir. Um, Samuel, are you getting your knighthood anytime soon? I don't think so. No, <laughs> and like, I, I think we're probably both on the same page in um, the, the the honor system. It's 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 not for me. I think you could. I don't want to spend a whole podcast going on about the wrongs of it, but when uh, when when Kevin Sinfield isn't getting um, the the ultimate accolade, then there there is something fundamentally wrong. I think Sai Javid's got a knighthood, and he once said that um, ticket touts were entrepreneurs. So uh, that's that, that's just yeah, one example that, I mean, of of the the flaws the flaw. Of I was the laughing watching the ten o'clock news last night when David Cameron came up, and at the bottom it said Lord Cameron, Lord uh, Cameron, sick, I know. Uh, which wasn't a good way to go to bed. Anyway. Jaden Sancho and Samuel, but let's get into the football because the listeners are probably about to turn off. Um, so. Obviously, Borussia Dortmund are closing in on a green alone deal uh, for Sancho. Um, he's been frozen out of the team since September. Obviously, a, a very public dispute with Eric Ten Hag when he took to social media, essentially called him a liar. Um, it took him a while to delete that post. He eventually did, but the situation, it hasn't been resolved. The January window was always going to be an opportunity for that resolution. And it finally seems like we're going to have one uh, with Dortmund kind of inching closer to securing him on a temporary deal. Yeah, I, th- I think I even wrote back in September, not long after it happened, that Sancho was was quite keen on returning to Dortmund and Dortmund, it seems, are, are keen to have him back as well. Um, various colleagues have, have done those stories in the last 24, 48 hours. I've... I've been off for a couple of days, but given it's the transfer window and then United rearranged press conference, I've ended up doing a bit of work here and there. But United have, have, have confirmed that the, the discussions are progressing with Dortmund over Sancho. It, it had to happen. They were never going to sell him this month uh, because there's just not a market for someone who's who's not played since August the 26th, I think it is. So he's gone four months without playing. Very public fallout with the manager to the point that he's been banished from the first team squad. He's been in exile for nearly four months. He's been getting ready, getting changed in a locked, with, with the door locked in a separate building due to safeguarding issues uh, because he's been getting ready in the in the academy building at Carrington. So that that's an extremely hard sell for a player who also has, has not particularly played well in his two and a half years at United. He's, he's had maybe a couple of reasonable spells of form, but his time at United has been 
one of extreme failure, uh, two very lengthy spells on, on the sidelines for very different reasons. Uh, one one period when he had the support of Ten Hag and this time when he's not had the support of Ten Hag. And I think I think we all sense that, that the likeliest outcome would that it would be alone this this month. But but really, from Ten Hag's perspective, he he couldn't allow Sancho to be at the club when when the January transfer window closed. I think it would have been extremely telling had both manager and player somehow still been at United, um, been at Carrington come February the first, because that would have immediately undermined Ten Hag's position. So this is essentially the the first public backing, if you like, from from Minos that they're they're happy for for Sancho to go elsewhere on loan. It was strange yesterday that one of the questions in relation to Sancho at Carrington, it was, does this indicate that he has a future at United? And you're asking the manager who's who's banished him um, from, from the first team squad. It, no, it doesn't. I mean, it's very obvious that because there's not a market to sign someone that United bought for £72.9 million pounds, uh, two and a half years ago, and and nobody's going to be paying thirty million for him. Nobody's. There's not a, a rush to get Jane Sancho in the Jane uh, in in the January transfer window on a permanent um, on a permanent basis. Of course, it was always going to be a loan, and it's a problem for United that Sancho Van der Beek. There's there's still every chance that those two could be back uh, at Carrington on for the first day of pre-season in, in July. I mean, hell of a lot's going to happen between now and then, but it's, it's still, it, it, it's a possibility that, that that could be the the scenario and we'll have, you know, it would be fascinating to see um, what happens between now and then. But Ten Hag also, um, just in terms of his communication at press conferences, and it's becoming clunkier, it feels like as well, because he, he said last month, if you took his quotes at face value when he was asked about Sancho, he said he knows what he has to do. Now, anybody who hears that or, or watches that or reads that would think, oh, Sancho's got a future still at United when there's been no inclination from either side to come to a resolution there, unsurprisingly. And it's it, it was strange yesterday that Ten Hag said there's there's no news on Sancho. Well, there is news. I mean, people at United have have, have confirmed that discussions are progress progressing. And when a manager talks like that, he's he's not really he's he's undermining his own authority there. When actually he's in he's still in a pretty authoritative position despite the results in in, in recent months or in fact in fact throughout the whole season. Who is it, Samuel? When you asked Ten Hag a question, was it Reggion that he replied? But the way he said it, it made it sound like Sancho. And Sancho, everyone in the, yeah. in, the, in the press conference room kind of just jolted for a second. And I think you followed it up and you asked about Sancho, didn't you? I, I can't remember exactly how it went. I, 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 um, when he was giving me this uh, answer to uh, Sergio, when, and I, I genuinely yeah. did think he said Sancho, but I thought if I, if I acknowledge that it's, it's Sancho, he said, I, I just thought, I can't say Sancho's name. I th- uh, you know, I, I, I could look like an idiot here because I can't be certain that he, he had said uh, Sancho's name. So I, I think I came up with something like kind of mealy mouth like and, and what prompted that development. It was it was a nothing. <laughs> well, there was, there was, was, nothing there was plausible deniability there, wasn't it? That's the thing. Yeah. You're in a difficult <laughs> yeah. position and you, you had exactly. that fast. I, I I think I did okay in it, and then the, I checked with the press officer afterwards. He said no, it was definitely definitely um, uh, Sergio was in Region, and and apparently Ten Hag when it was put to him that oh people thought you said Sancho, I, I don't think he was best pleased by that either. <laughs> and this was this was back in October, so that that gives you um, an idea of, of of what 
Ten Hag thinks of Sancho at the moment. He's, he's still not referred to Sancho by name as well. Whenever he's been asked about him, he's never referred to Jaden or Sancho. That was the one time where we thought, and that was probably partly why a few of us, uh, all of us in that press conference room um, were, were jolted by it because it did sound like Sancho, but he definitely said Sergio. So uh, yeah, it's, sometimes the, the, the waters can get muddied. And I think the... Well, that day it was on the rolling. It was on the rolling ticker on Sky Sports News. Jane Sancho is back in the Manchester United squad, and um, I'm sure we'll get onto it shortly. But Sky yesterday seemed to be the only ones who were under the impression that Anthony Marshall was in line for a new contract. When uh, that that really is not the case. Uh, and the transfer morning show is interesting now on Sky Sports, but that's a story for another day. Um, we'll stick with Sancho briefly then, uh, Samuel. I mean, an assessment of the situation. I think reports in Germany have suggested it's going to be around €3 million, Euros, the loan package overall. Um, it's a very low risk, high reward move, I think, for Dortmund because they're getting the player who they do know, who, yes, he, he has regressed in his years at United. But if he hits the ground running and can return to the levels he produced when he was playing in the Bundesliga, then it could be a very good move for them. Um, he'll be there for six months until the end of the season. Um, what do you think about it? Can he return to that level? Um, because he's just not, he's just not performed in a, in a red shirt, unfortunately. We've got into him at length on this podcast over the years. I had extremely high hopes from when he came to England. I mean, he was fantastic playing for Dortmund. He established himself as, as quite literally one of Europe's finest young talents along alongside Erling Haaland at the time. And, and Jude Bellingham, you look at what they've done with their respective careers since then. But it just hasn't happened for Sancho. Um, and also, Samuel, I think the, the point is to make, I think it, United are probably making the best of a bad situation because you're getting a player off the books that is earning high wages he is going to have friends in the dressing room and naturally a few sympathisers with his situation. It's not healthy to have him around Carrington, is it? So they needed to, to get him out there in, in the January window. The last time he'd have possibly, no, not quite the last time. I think it would have been because um, he, he started in the Dublin friendly, but I think he did start against Dortmund in the, the Las Vegas friendly. And I think the Dortmund social media team got some decent clips out of him reuniting with Marco Royce and other um, players and staff he knew from his from his his time at the club, but it's however way you look at it for Sancho, it's it's not a good look. Jude Bellingham's not going to be going back to Dortmund. Erling Haaland is not going to be going back to Dortmund. Dortmund, who really bottled it in the title race last season on the final day when they should have actually won it ahead of Bayern Munich, they're they're fifth this season. They're not going to win the the title um, again. I think there's something like might be 15 points off top. I think obviously Bayer Leverkusen is still the team at the top. Chabi Alonso is doing a brilliant job there, but it, it is still quite early in the season. I, th- I don't think they're quite even at the halfway stage in, in the Bundesliga while they're having this winter break at the moment. But for him to go back to Dortmund with his, with his tail between his legs, um, although he may find happiness there, and I'm sure he will, and Dortmund will be happy to have him back and they'll see it as a bit of a coup. But really, it... it it doesn't reflect particularly well on on Dortmund or or Sancho and that they're trying to rekindle something there and very much the, the priority for them of course is going to be to to qualify for the Champions League which is is still doable even though they're they're fifth in the Bundesliga but trying to it's it's not even you know harking back to past glories because I think the only thing that Sancho won in Germany was the was the German Cup. Um, I don't think they ever during his time at the club got really close to laying a glove on 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 Bayern Munich in terms of going for the Bundesliga title either. 
Uh, so it's it's a marriage of convenience and it, it suits United that one of these clubs who Sancho was you know, keen to join. I think if Steve Cooper was still at Forest, that might have been a goer. But when Cooper was was sacked by Forest last month, I think the instinct there was that that was that 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 door had closed. So that was probably his only route back to a or route to a Premier League club. But that in itself says it all. I mean, you know, there's a European Championship coming up in the summer and, okay, Sancho, the majority of his games, his caps attained uh, with England have been while he was playing for Borussia Dortmund. So there's still a route back into the squad if he's playing regularly. But I think realistically, he's his, his goose is cooked with with England. I don't think he's 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 got a... He's probably got 0.01% chance of of getting in the Euro squad, even if he does play regularly and play well for Dortmund, because there, there are so many brilliant attacking options that Gareth Southgate has, and the majority of them play in the Premier League. And, and while it's good for England to have, I mean, their two best players arguably play for Real Madrid and, and Bayern Munich, which is is brilliant given how insular generally um, English footballers can be and, and have been and, and, and Sancho look he, he was a trailblazer you, you only have to look at Haaland going to Dortmund Bellingham going to Dortmund uh, Jamal Musiala who I've watched him twice in person this season been very lucky to and he, he looks he's just tremendous he's, he's brilliant to watch and of course he made that journey from Chelsea to, to Bayern Munich um, you've got Blino is it Blino Gittins I think at Dortmund as well who's taken yeah. that same path from City I mean, we Dortmund. watched him at Lee Sports Village, actually, Samuel. I think if yeah, you we did. Think, yeah, and ago. it was it was it was terrific against United's um, under 19s in the youth league. I was really impressed with him, and he's he's making waves at Dortmund. So, um, you know, there's there's a possible mentoring that Sancho could have there, but that that area of Germany and Gelsenkirchen, it's it's got quite high. I think the average age of um, of, of, of residence there is quite high. It's not a place where young young people really settle, so it's it's not ideal for Sancho. But it's it's not a bad get out at this stage of his career and um, at this stage of the season, given that the first four months have been an absolute write off. And I, I do hope for his sake that he, he rebuilds his career and he does well at Dortmund. But um, it's and and also it's in United's interest that he does well at Dortmund because then that does create a market for him in the summer, whether he rejoins Dortmund permanently or he moves to another club. Yeah, it can only help his, his resale value, can't it, if he performs well at Dortmund. Yeah. Um, a little bit of transfer housekeeping then as well for Kundal Palestri. There's a bit of loan interest in him if you want to expand on that. Yeah. Uh, Dan as Gore always. as well. Yeah, interest from Preston on loan. He's obviously made his debut just in September. And Charlie McNeil has just returned back from Stevenage as well. We expected him to be recalled um, after he's been left out a few squads. Unfortunately, the, the move hasn't really worked out. I don't think he's um, played it, since September. No, I think he, he scored on his debut. And then his last his last start may well have been in September. So I'm not too sure what happened there. But as, as you just alluded to... I mean, I, to, I don't, I don't was, think Stevenage were expected to perform as well as the half of the season. They're actually flying at, at the yeah, top of are, the division in and about to the playoff position. So that's obviously made it difficult for McNeil to get a game. Yeah, and uh, you know th- sometimes that happens in certainly at the football league uh, level that a club will come out from nowhere and suddenly they'll be the pace setters or they'll be right up there. I mean I- Ipswich having a tremendous season in the championship, they're, they're second still I think to, to Leicester and they only got promoted 
um, they, they only got promoted last season and there's every chance they'll get back-to-back promotions, which of course reflects extremely well on the job Kieran McKenna is doing there. Uh, I mean, this time of year, there are always some academy players who head out on loan. In the case of Gore, United have got midfielders coming back in January in, in Casemiro. Mason Mount is back on the grass as well. Kobe Maynou is fit. McTominay is, is obviously been fit for most of the season. I know Sofian Amrabat has has gone to to Afcon with Morocco. Uh, Christian Eriksen is fit again, so that's that's five senior midfielders. I think it's fair to regard Maynou as a senior um, squad member now, who are ahead of Dan Gore. So it, it, I think there's a chance that does happen. But we did see with James Garner about four years ago that. It's, I think it was Garner and Lev- Dylan Levitt at the time. They were eager to go out on loan, but United said, no, it's not quite right for you. This is not the right time. And it was delayed. And look, it's worked out well for Garner. He's having a, a terrific career. And in fairness to Dylan Levitt, although he's not reached the same heights, he's still a Wales international and he's he's, he's doing pretty well and having a decent career elsewhere, um, if not in the upper echelons of, of the English football. Uh, Joe Hugel is another one uh, we've we've spoken about at length. Um, I think at the moment it would probably be remiss of United to let him go because Anthony Marshall's been out of the fold for for three and a half weeks. Rasmus Hoyland is the only out and out striker available to United. He, of course, was absent at Nottingham Forest. So United always maintain they will do what's best for you know the interests of the club come first. Even though it's they they're conscious that academy players need to go and get game time, it's important for them. Hugel's now twenty as well, which just seems to have you know it doesn't seem that long ago that he actually joined United from from Sunderland and he was he was excellent in his first season in the academy. But all of a sudden, it seems like he's he's turned twenty quite quickly, and he's still not had a um, a kick in senior football, and he's going to be chomping at the pit, um, understandably. It sounds like he'll get a new contract as part of any arrangement as well, which happens quite often with academy players when they go out on loan. I think it did happen with James Garner, happened with Deshaun Bernard as well. Uh, Ten Hag's indicated that there'll be a goalkeeper who goes out on loan, where Andre Anana is, of course, about to head on to AFCON. I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit shortly. United will probably not be as inclined to send out two or three goalkeepers on loan this month. Uh, sometimes that that does happen. There are a number of keepers that that head out. But, but Radit Vitek has, has done a lot of training with the first team, but he's, he's I'm surprised to see that he's not actually played very often for the under-21s under this season. I mean, I'm sure you can shed some light on that. It seems like it's been Eli Harrison and, and Dermot Mee who've um, had the bulk of the games there. But I'd think of... I think Harrison will probably be the youth cup keeper or, or remain the youth cup keeper, I should say. And one of me or, or Vitek will, will go out on loan as, as Ten Hag indicated. Yeah, Harrison's really highly regarded. Just 17 and he's he always impressed me. He's good with his feet as well. That kind of modern ball-playing goalkeeper. And at this rate, I think um, Vitek might make a debut before Bayern, yeah. <laughs> Poor lad <laughs> comes from Turkey and uh, Anana's just playing more games, isn't he? He doesn't want to go to Afghan uh, as, as soon as we yeah. thought he would. Anyways, we'll leave it there for part and, and, one, Samuel. Sorry, go on. Just, just sorry, just up. I forgot Palistri there. I mean, with Palistri, it seems like every month there is interest in taking him on loan because, from what we've all seen, he, he looks a pretty good footballer and he's a starter for Uruguay. And I think he would have probably gone on loan in the summer had Ahmad not got injured. Where he got injured, I think, in, against Arsenal in New Jersey, that was late July, and Palistri did quite well in the final friendly against. Um, against Athletic Bill Bow in Dublin. From that point on, it seemed like he was definitely going to stay. But 
Um, he's, he's, I don't think he's had a start since September. He had a, he had a few starts in September and the last was against Crystal Palace in that, that defeat. But he's, everyone, you think, you think of Facundo Palistri at United, you just think he's a, he's an impact sub and he has done, uh, he has fulfilled that job quite well. Um, and I still think United, given that Sancho's going, when you look at their forwards, it's, it's not, it's not the case that they've that they're teaming with with forwards now. That, that there is a case of of keeping Palistri and keeping Ahmad, especially when the other right sided forward is is Anthony. Uh, I suspect that when you know the fans do their panel on our websites, they do for every game. There's every chance that Ahmad will be um, in in the fans eleven for the, for the Wigan game on Monday. I feel like Palestri's big chance was against Bayern Munich uh, at the Allianz Arena. He got that start, didn't he? Um, he probably should have scored, shouldn't he, as well? Yeah, he, he definitely should have. That, that, that at 0-0 where he, he, Alfonso Davis did very well, but Palestri needed to commit that little bit more. And if he did do, the ball probably hits him, goes in, and then it's maybe a sliding doors moment in his United career, as you say. Ironically, I think Tenog said uh, Alfonso Davies was a poor defender before kickoff on that game, and then Davies goes and pulls it out of the fire, which was an excellent <laughs> clearance. Um, anyways, that'll be it for part one. We'll be back in a moment for part two. We're launching a brand new bite-sized midweek audio-only podcast, bringing you the latest happenings from Old Trafford in a much more informal format covering topical news, online gossip, transfers and personal tales as a roundup of everything you might have missed surrounding Manchester United. Join host Tyrone Marshall and myself, Rich Fay, as we go inside the club, separating the fact from the fiction and giving you an edge on your mates down the pub. Welcome back to part two of the Manchester is Red podcast. Now, as promised, Samuel, we'll get into the contract situations uh, in a little bit more depth. Obviously, we discussed Martial and Varane there. Um, Martial is obviously still expected to leave the club and Varane is not guaranteed to be offered a new contract. And as you mentioned, Tenog was asked about that at yesterday's press conference, which took place on Thursday. We're recording this podcast on a, a Friday morning. Um, but Tenog said that United, this is a direct quote, are talking with Rafa Varane and with Anthony Martial. Um, I presume your eyebrows were raised when that was said. I don't think they were raised as such. It was just, um, like, why, why, why is he saying that? Because that, that has become another one of his stock phrases. He was using it about, I think when I asked about the players who had these extensions, um, extension options last month, he said, we're talking to them. And at the time I'm thinking, why are you talking to them? You you don't have to. You can just literally pull them pull a player to side in training and tell them we've extended your contract until next year. You're a valuable squad member, of course. Um and, and we'll reassess your future in the summer. We'll we'll go from there. I mean, you shouldn't even take five minutes. It it can be done in possibly five seconds if if you talk quickly enough. It's it's United's right to extend these contracts. If they want to keep a player and the the maximum these are the maximum expiry dates in the players contracts as well then united should do that they are protecting their asset um there is resale value in Aaron Wan-Bissaka Victor Lindelof and Hannibal Mejbri as we all know i i wrote in october that the plan was to extend those um, players contracts and also the plan was to um release marshall if if there wasn't a taker for him in the january transfer window and it looks like it's going that way but then the waters are muddied by what Ten Hag says. And some people in that room, some people watching, will take him at face value and think that 
are Anthony Marshall's in line to get a new contract. And as I said earlier, Sky Sports News thought that was the case and appeared to dedicate a segment to their sheer surprise that someone who's not completed 90 minutes in the Premier League for nearly three years, someone who's scored 18 United goals in the last three and a half years could and, and is coming out of contract at the end of the year and won't have his current contract extended, could get a new contract. Um, I mean, sometimes you've just got to you know, it's it's not it's not even educated guesswork. It's just you know, look at something sensibly, um, rather than taking the manager at face value. But ultimately, they 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 saw and listened to what Ten Hag said, and took him at face value. And that's where the confusion came. And in the end, that I think Sky had, had tweeted a video of it, but they they deleted it because someone at United flagged it to them like, no, this is not the case. But it really shouldn't have to be spelt out. You shouldn't need a, a guidebook for contract extensions for dummies. But it feels like that's the way it's been. I mean, at the start of this week, United will have known that there's no game. It's January transfer window. Uh, the Ineos stake is being um, is, is a way to regulatory approval. Ratcliffe is coming over. Browsford is coming over. We also knew that it was inevitable that these contracts that they extended, the three that they um, they triggered the extensions in, that that was going to happen. So just tell us, those three players have their contracts extended, those two players aren't, here's some context on it. Um, January transfer window, uh, Region's going back to Tottenham, uh, Van der Beek's going on loan, they were quite prompt with that in fairness as well on, on, on New Year's Day. Um, Sancho, of course, they've, they've, you know, they've, they've been helpful with as well. But it just felt like with the contract extensions, they've they've been so opaque about it when, as I said, I did a line back in October, which made it pretty clear what was going to happen. And that is what's happened with the three uh, contracts extended and what is almost certainly going to happen with Marshall. And United's point with Marshall is that because he is one of two out-and-out strikers, which, I mean, just again, it just highlights the, the, the bad decision-making that goes on at the club. Um, they they don't want to essentially cut him down to size uh, when he could have a role to play this season. Yes, technically he could have a role to play uh, once he's fit again because he is the backup striker to Hoyland. And we've seen already how um, overburdened Hoyland has been and someone needs to shoulder that burden. And unfortunately for him, nobody has. And I don't think anybody is expecting Marshall to either. And it's just United's luck that, like in the summer, he is unavailable when the transfer window is open. So as it stands, he's unsellable. And even if he was fit, there are a very small, it's, it's a small percentage of clubs in the January transfer window who are going to be in for Anthony Marshall, who want to sign Anthony Marshall on a permanent basis. And it's really got to be a permanent basis because this is the last window United have to obtain a fee for him. Um, Varane is different. It's a bit more like De Gea in the, United do not believe that he he is worthy of the current salaries on um, beyond this season. So that's why they don't want to trigger the extension. Otherwise, he would stay on the same salary. But as it stands, I mean, United are eighth in the Premier League table. If they don't finish in the top four, um, if they don't qualify for the Champions League, then everyone is gets a salary reduction next season. That's just the way it works. That that was one of the reasons why Ronaldo wanted out because his his salary was um cut by by 25%. And that's commonplace with other clubs as well, of course. If if players stay at a club that gets relegated, 
there's going to be a salary reduction there because it's written into the contract. Um, but with with Ferran, I, I don't think it's necessarily more surprising that United haven't triggered the extension in his deal because he's he his his brittleness is a problem. He's had five he's missed games for five different reasons already this season. He had a couple of spells on the sidelines last season. He was particularly injury prone in his first season as well. He turns thirty one in March. United will sign a new centre half in the summer. And there are other players in the in, in that department who who are younger than him. But Varane can also look at it and say, well, you know, Victor Lindelof's only he's he's something like sixteen months older than than Varane and he's not a World Cup winner. He's not won the Champions League. Uh he's he, he, he's it's been a while since he was considered a starter for Manchester United. When Varane is fit and, and playing well, he's a starter for United. We've, we've seen that in the last month since he came back into the team against uh, Bayern Munich and Liverpool. So you can, I can see it from both sides with, with the Varane one. Um, where where do you personally stand on it then, Samuel, if you had to give your opinion on it? I mean, you just laid it bare there. Unfortunately, it's probably 50-50 at the moment of the last 18 months or so when he has been available. He has struggled for fitness a lot of the times. He's picked up little niggles, different injuries. Um, he has returned back to the team in, in recent weeks. Obviously, he was out um, omitted yeah. for tactical reasons. or That's what Ten Hag said anyways. Um, and you're right, he has performed. Uh, Liverpool is fantastic at Anfield. But it's probably the right decision, isn't it? When a player is on such high wages, he turns 31 in April, um, to, not, to not offer another contract. I think, t- I think when you weigh it up, it, it is... It is logical what United are doing. Um, I think it, it may be, it possibly looks strange because the Liverpool performance is so fresh in the memory. And on his day, he is still United's best defender. And last season, he was one of, I'd say, he was one of their top five performers. You, you saw what happened um, in the run in when he got injured against Sevilla in the first leg. United were 2 0 up um, in that first leg when Varane went off. They end up losing it five two on aggregate, and all the all five goals come with Varane off the pitch, of course. And when he came back into the team, they 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 won quite um, doggedly at Bournemouth. They they got the job done in the games they needed to, and and they were a much more resolute defensive side. When while he was out, they were they were a bit shaky, and they lost a few games. That said, Luke Shaw came in and and did very well. Although Shaw was more of a direct replacement for Martinez because he was coming in as the the left-footed centre-back. Uh, so I, ca- I can understand where it's come from. It's just, you, I, I think the problem that United have got there is that, and this is a very big problem um, if you're in the comms department there, when he signed, they communicated the wrong expiry date on his contract, which is what they did when Matic signed a new contract in 2020. Uh, it, it beggars belief that the, the biggest, the most valuable, uh, I suppose now, the most valuable sports entity on the planet can um, miscommunicate the expiry date of a player's contract. And that's what happened with Nemanja Matic and it's what happened with Ram when he, he signed for the club. Um, so that that's where United don't come out of it particularly well. But the process they've gone in terms of deciding not to extend his contract, even though I mean, the, the, I don't think Varane's going to toss it off for the rest of the season because he's he's probably far too professional to do that. But you do run that risk of him being demotivated for the running if he knows that he's not going to be there next season. But Espe- he, especially certainly... after the, the first six months that he's had. I mean, Johnny Evans has been starting over him for a lot of time. And then if you add that into the equation as well, it, it's almost the perfect yeah, storm, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he, he will have 
well, I know for certain he, he was affronted by that period where I think he started one game in 13 and he, he was available for the vast majority of those matches as well. I think he only may, may have missed a couple of them through, um, I think it, lack of full fitness was one reason and, and illness was another one. Um, but in fairness to Evans, he's he's the, the way it's going at the moment, he, he could actually have the Samat Busby player of the year statue uh, on his mantelpiece in the summer. He he has, he has done well for United this season and the pair of them did very well in the draw against Liverpool. They've, they've shown, you know, reasonable, I think promise is probably the wrong word for a partnership that um, has a combined age of, <laughs> of, of 66. Now that Evans has just turned, has just turned 36. Uh, but as as you said, that's that's something else that comes into the equation, and that, I think the way it's going, he'll he'll just leave on a free in the summer. But he certainly does. He he wants to stay at the club beyond the the, the closure of the January transfer window, even though he is free, of course, to um, um you know agree a, a pre contract with an overseas club. Regarding any potential incomings, then January is always usually a quiet window as far as Manchester United is concerned, isn't it? Really, I mean, the loan market will be considered, but. It looks unlikely to get a permanent signing uh, this month because, but frankly, that's just not how the club operates and they've spent a ton of money in the last two summers. Well, in fairness, the the most possibly the three most consequential or three of the most consequential signings United have made in the last 10 years have, have come in January. Uh, Juan Mata 10 years ago was a club record sign, signing. Alexis Sanchez in 2018, there was yeah, that was a huge story, especially as um, everyone expected him to go to Manchester City. And in 2020, and because of his um, piano playing skills. Sorry, Sam, I'm oh, a his piano. Yes, that know, was the story of, the, of that January window. <laughs> Dis- described by Richard Arnold as iconic. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. We'll leave Excellent. it there on that one. And of course, with with Bruno Fernandes in in twenty twenty, and, and whatever you think of of him, he he has been United's best signing since Robin van Persie in twenty twelve. So um, they they are always open. I think they're more open to doing business than than they make out. United always downplay. Um, things I, th- I remember in the summer when we were going into the last week of the transfer window, United uh, said that they weren't expecting to do anything, and then they signed four players on deadline day. Um, I think the interesting thing, I, looking it up the other day, is that on on Ten Hag's watch, United have signed six players on loan. They signed six players on loan in the I think it's something like the twenty five years before Ten Hag was appointed. That that was how rare they went into. Um, the loan market, but they've been a lot more active there um, with with Ten Hag. Obviously, one of those players has already gone. Um, th- th- their loan has already ended in in Sergio Reguilon. Uh, I-, I found it very strange. The whole, you know, thank you, Sergio. I mean, someone at United told me he did well when he came in. He, I, I, can, I don't think anyone would agree with that whatsoever. I mean, he was he was game certainly, but my God, he was gettable. He was a dreadful, dreadful defender. He was, yeah, you know, he was energetic. He looked like exactly and, what he was, didn't he? Like a backup Spurs yeah, fullback. He, he he well it's it's worse than that he was third choice Tottenham yeah. Tottenham left back maybe maybe worse than that if you were to um to to put Perisic in there as well uh given that that he can play as a wing back but he he was not a good signing but then again United needed an eleventh hour left back and um he he was an option but he the writing was on the wall for him quite some time ago when Diogo Dallo was starting over him at, at left back which has been an experiment that has not not gone particularly well but. I think there's, you know, when you've, I think when we've watched Reggie on play in his last couple of starts, was it, I think his last two starts for United might have been 
Bournemouth um, and, and Newcastle in the League Cup, uh, two two three nil defeats, and he was he was really poor in both of them. So with with Shaw not out for a, the long term, also United say and uh, Tyrell Malassia supposedly coming back Who? soon. Although there's I know, I know. Well, I was just about to say as well, there's not been any imagery or there's not been any imagery or footage of him uh, on the grass in training. (laughs) So I think the uh, the the mid January return date is is looking quite uh, optimistic and and unrealistic. Yeah, he's obviously had two rounds of knee surgery, so hopefully when he comes back, he can yeah. return to some sort of form because it is always tricky to return from from those problems. Um, we'll leave it there for part two, then, Simon. We'll be back in a moment for part three. No one covers Manchester United quite like the Manchester Evening News, and through our MUFC Pro app, you can support our journalism and become part of our United community getting the best experience ad-free, pop-up-free and distraction-free as well. Giving you the best news and interviews, great features and much more. Now is the perfect time to subscribe as we've just launched a special New Year offer which includes MEM Premium for just £12 for 12 months. Download the app and get started today. Welcome back to part three of the Manchester is Red podcast. Now, Samuel, a nice little visit to Carrington. Uh, was it today or yesterday? You'll, you'll keep it was yesterday, on the, on the yes. Yesterday, yes. with Surgeon Ratcliffe and, and Sir Dave Billsford, obviously going into Carrington, meeting staff, etc. Um, some lovely photos with Ten Hag and the players. And if I can get a girlfriend the way that uh, Surgeon Ratcliffe looks at Rasmus Hoyland, I think I'll be a very happy man uh, because he had a big wide grin on his face, Ratcliffe did, looking at Hoyland, thinking you're going to score a lot of goals for me in the future. Um, but look, in all seriousness, I mean, the Glazers have been um, awful custodians, very absent they never really communicate. And it's just really encouraging to see Ratcliffe and Brilsford just about the place, Samuel. And I think that's that's a huge thing for fans. They obviously had a meeting with staff as well. I think it was at Old Trafford. So it is really early days and still a long way to go. But there is some really encouraging signs and they're making some positive steps. Yeah, I, I think it was sorry, it was um Wednesday that they were there, not yesterday. I mean the, the press conference room did did change to uh, this uh, yeah, it's a bit of a broom cupboard, really, in um in, in the main building. So I, I half wonder if if something was going on up in the uh, the usual room in the the Jimmy Murphy Centre that that overlooks the the training pitches. But as as you said, I think the last the last file on photo of uh, Joel Glazer at Carrington is dated um, March twenty thirteen. So it's it's so far back that Sir Alex Ferguson was still managing United. Um, Joel Glazer's not been to Manchester in, in coming up to five years. I think that whole the the annoyance that fans have had over Joel Glazer that can that can end now because he's not overseeing football operations. It's it's of course it's going to be the Ineos group and that's why Ratcliffe has has been to Manchester this week and why Sir Dave Brailsford is uh, becoming a more f- frequent visitor um, at, at the at the training ground and it's you know I was, I was told earlier in the week that you know, it was just kind of like a, a way of introducing um, themselves to the wider staff at Carrington Old Trafford which is essential and of course when it, we were when we were told that they were going to Carrington then logically you assume that they were going to meet <clears throat> Ten Hag meet the players and they've they've done that um, men's players and, and women's players as well 
it's it's an it's an open goal for United, and it's an open goal for Ratcliffe as well. I mean, I'm I know I I don't think I'm the sartorial expert that I I, I could be, but his his scarf does look like it, it might be a, a Paul Smith United themed scarf. It's it's, it's got the well, United colours on it. I've got a Paul Smith top on so. now as we record there, Samuel. So there you, go. Well, you, nice, you, you, nice you may out. know better than me. I've I've, <laughs> I've I've got some Paul Smith items, but uh, maybe maybe not as modern as your ones. So uh, you, you might be the the expert on that. And uh, it, it will just, you know, we we need to obviously once the 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 Ineos group have received the regulatory approval, then I'm sure Ratcliffe will will speak on the record because it's in his interest, or, or Brailsford will. Uh, it, I'm still, it would be curious to see how Brailsford goes about his job. I was, I was just about to say that Samuel because we, we don't really know yet what his role is going to be in terms of a defined role it's going to be interesting because obviously Jean-Claude Blanc yes the CEO and you kind of see the structure that way Jean, there will be a sporting director Jean Jean Jean-Claude Jean, Blanc Jean Jean Jean, Jean, Jean Blanc you must have done be, French you must have I only got you to had, be had a, great, a French GCSE Samuel been, so come on you must have you, you must have had posters of David Ginola up on your wall or, <laughs> but, uh, but presumably you got any Johan Kabay no yeah, I didn't French, I got French I, I also got a B at uh, French GCSE as well yeah um, but no, no it is an interesting point isn't it because he is obviously very visible at the moment he's at games he's at Nottingham Forest um, he's at being at Old Trafford um, but we don't actually know what his defined role is going to be uh, could that murky the waters a bit well, th- th- they'll bring clarity to that eventually when they appoint a, a sporting director. And le- let's face facts, Brailsford is not going to be the guy in charge of recruitment at United. He's the in your sporting director. He's obviously going to be on the United board. That was confirmed in those very lengthy biblical filings that were published um, at, at full time on, on Boxing Day of the, of the Villa match. So I think he's essentially just going to be you know, if, if it's Dan Ashworth who comes in or whoever comes in, they'll report to to Dave Brailsford. And of course, you know, it's, it's logical for a, a sporting director. I mean, it, it it does feel extremely niche that a petrochemicals company have a sporting director. But of course, Ineos have all these sports ventures in cycling, football, um, sailing as well, dabbled in marathon running uh, even. So, uh, you know, Brailsford is, is clearly you know, quite familiar with how football clubs are run from Nice and um, is it San Lausanne in, in Switzerland, yeah, Switzerland as well who who, who um, in your zone but I mean this is a completely different level and as I said Sir Dave Brailsford the reason why he, he got a knighthood is for his work in, in cycling and in making Team GB um, you know these gold medal specialists at the Olympics. Well, it, it's uh, fascinating when you look into it. Won it? all the Tour de France's. All, all the 1% on, marginal gains thing, that, that was so popular in the mid kind of, I mean, 2010, 2011, a run up to the, the London 2012 Olympics. He was credited with a lot of the success. But I think a bit further on after that, Bradley Wiggins came out and kind of rubbished the theory and, and played down Brailsford's influence, which was really interesting. So uh, it's not always been as uh, straightforward as it seems because it was baked up quite a bit. No, and obviously uh, Wiggins received a therapeutic use exemption to to win yeah, the Tour de France Sky. in in twenty twelve uh, with with Team Sky uh, after uh, I think was it that was it the Fancy Bears the Russian um, hackers they they discovered that info and of course Brailsford has been embroiled in the the infamous Jiffy Bag case regarding what was sent and what was in it and, and Doctor Richard Freeman who used to be the doctor at Team Sky he was struck off. Um, 
but but Brailsford is is this great survivor, and it's it was interesting uh, that David Walsh, who is, is obviously the chief sports writer of the Sunday Times, he was ushered into the fold at Team Sky to do a book on them about ten years ago, and uh, he wrote a lacerating piece about Brailsford in October, I think it was. I think he felt a bit you know duped um, given that. Wiggins had a T uh, TUE. Uh, Chris Froome won a number of tour. You know, he won what was it four or five Tour de France's? I think it was. And you know there was there was suspicion over that. Um, yeah, a lot of observers were skeptical of it, given the history of of the Tour de France as well, and particularly um, Lance Armstrong. That's not to say that team sky weather you know found to have been doping at all that's that's not been the case whatsoever but there has been a lot of suspicion around uh stave brailsford and he was before a select committee i think just over five years ago where he was you know he had been very well uh, trained in a pr sense to give the right responses and here he is now rubbing shoulders with jim ratcliffe and overseeing the, the the possible transformation of of Manchester United, but I, as I maintain, I, I'm fascinated to see how someone whose wheelhouse is cycling is going to uh, transform, uh, revamp, do whatever phrase you want to use, Manchester United into a credible force again in a completely different sport. It's I mean Ben Ainsley, who's obviously you know knows knows Ratcliffe from. Financing his, uh, his his quest to win the America's Cup, he, he referred to United as, as the greatest challenge in sport, possibly, which is is a pretty good description. It's it's quite a onerous one as well. Um, it's an onerous challenge for for Dave Brailsford, but I maintain, you know, this going back to David Walsh's piece in in October, it was scathing also of what's happened to the Ineos Grenadiers, which is the cycling team that used to be known as as Team Sky. I mean, it sounds like the wheels have fallen off there. And now this guy who's overseen that is about to take on the challenge of of, of trying to get Manchester United back to the top. So, um, you know, the, the marginal gains and everything, as you said, it, it was on vogue in the um, early 2010s. And I think some, you know, I think there were probably a few people who were a bit sceptical of it at the time. I mean, the, the Team Sky used Dr. Steve Peters, um, who was then used by Ronnie O'Sullivan and, and the England team as well used him. And I think in 2014, it was a bit of a Anna Cerebris because Ronnie O'Sullivan uh, went out early in the Snooker World Championships and England, of course, went out of the World Cup at the group stage, and something <laughs> like that. And of course, he was he was also, um, I think Stephen Gerrard was a great advocate of him. And that was the year where Stephen Gerrard said, Don't let it slip. This does not, this does not slip. Yeah. And then he, he let it slip for, for Denver Bar. And what a moment that was at Anfield. Um, I suggested on a podcast, I think two months ago maybe, that there could be a little bit of friction coming about Samuel with Ratcliffe and the kind of transfer control and how it's going to work with Tenag. And I think you and Tyrone kind of played it down and we'll look at the end of the day, they both want the same thing. Tenag wants to succeed, Ratcliffe wants to succeed. It should be a perfect marriage. But he's probably going to have to relinquish a little bit of control because we know he's had quite a lot of influence over transfers obviously does work with John Murder with Sangins but we've said it multiple times that squad is very much his squad his fingerprints are all over it and there's a lot of Dutch pedigree in that squad at the moment when you look back at all the players I think six of the ten players he signed on permanent deals have played in Eredivisie and obviously Ten Hag's had a meeting with Ratcliffe he said it's been very positive but could we see that down the line a little bit do you reckon that has a bit of potential because I I definitely think it does Samuel I think that could happen 
there's no way they can operate the way they have in the past two summer transfer windows because you only have to look at the the success uh, rate of the signings. I'd I'd say there's been one one truly successful signing in Lissandro Martinez and this well, season so far it's, it's been a write-off for him. <laughs> um, <laughs> this And this season has been a write-off for him. So if you were going off that traffic light system Gary Neville did of green, amber, red of United signings um, uh, post-Ferguson, you probably wouldn't put him in green just because he's he's not had a second season yet, Martinez. And I remember Ed Woodward telling us about four and a half years ago that United's aim was to get have, have a 70% success rate with recruitment. I, I, I finally, I was surprised maybe someone else hadn't done it sooner, but I got round to actually doing the calculations for it and, and being objective as possible. And of course, with signings, it can be subjective. There are going to be some people who think, how can you put Paul Pogba in red, which sounds sounds crazy, but some people think he was quite good for United. He, he was quite good at times. He was not a good signing. Um, you know, it goes beyond the pitch in terms of a player's impact and influence at a club. But the success rate, if we are to be really kind, is something like 7%. And Woodward was talking of 70%. I mean, that in itself is, re- is cause for a number of people at the club, if they are still responsible for some of those deals, to pack up their desks and clear off and go elsewhere because they're not up to it and they have not been up to it. Now, John Murter has overseen these two summer transfer windows and I was told last month that he never saw himself as going into recruitment. And I thought, well, perhaps he should have told United that or perhaps United should have done more due diligence and hired an external candidate rather than someone who's on their doorstep. And the irony is the one outright signing that Murta really pushed for was Casemiro. And he was his influence last season was was huge. It's it's gone badly. It's gone all right this season for him. But that reflected well on Murta at the time, even though when he signed, you thought, crikey, look at how much they've paid for a 30-year-old. Look how much he, uh, he, his wages are going to cost United as well. And this season, it's kind of panned out as a lot of us feared it would have in the first season for Casemiro. But you look at the other signings, um, Mason Mount has not turned up. He's been a mismatch with with whoever he's played with in midfield. He was dropped in uh, September or October. He's been played on the right. He's been played with different players. Uh, he... he He's looked wholly unsuited to Manchester United. He's he's an England international who joined United in the summer when so many England internationals got major transfers. James Madison was probably the best player in the Premier League before he got injured. Harry Kane is probably still the best striker in the world. Jude Bellingham is probably the best player in the world. Declan Rice is one of the best players in the Premier League. Who do United get? They get the guy who... Um, who's already been bombed out of the England squad and, and has been dropped by United and had two lengthy layoffs through injury this season. It's not a coincidence this always happens with United. And that's why there has to be a root and branch review of recruitment. And really, you have to get to the root of it and, and possibly rip it all up. And and Ten Hag cannot have the control that he's had. And fair enough, he wanted Harry Kane in the summer and United took this you know, rather peculiar principal decision not to go for him and then sign someone who was 10 years younger and there's every chance that Kane will end this season with more club goals in this season alone that Rasmus Hoyland has scored in his entire career that is just bad planning they needed a proven goal scorer they got a potential goal scorer in and they were talking in the summer about 
he might come out of the team at times and Marcus Rashford would play up front as if they think that Ra- Marcus Rashford is, is a dependable um, centre-forward when two games into the season, Ten Hag decided, right, you've got to go back to the left because it's not working there. And anyone could have told him that as well. Uh, Anthony, like we've discovered, we've discussed him chapter and verse. I mean, the, the guy is just a write-off for United and um, they they overspent majorly. I, 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 I think that that line about oh, he's valued at 25 million by the recruitment staff. I think that reflects badly on the recruitment staff because there's no way that Ajax would have let a Brazil international two years into a four or five year contract who'd won two titles coming up in a World Cup year. No way they would have let him go for 25 million pounds. I mean, they let... Van der Beek was... Um, his valuation came down because of COVID, but United still committed to paying 40 million for him I think 40 million for Anthony was fair enough. And I, people at Ajax at the time were talking about Anthony being valued at 60 million euros, which I think was fair enough. And then, of course, United end up paying or committing to um, pay 100 million euros. So however way you look at it, it's, it's, it's not been a good process under Ten Hag. It's been a throwback um, to, to Ferguson's days. And Ferguson's days were an absolute freak, as we all know, because the man was a genius and he's, he stayed in the position for 26 and a half years. Ten Hag is not going to stay in in, in United for, for half that time, um, I, I, I would venture a guess at. And I found it amusing on Boxing Day that who should be in, in, in the director's box when Sir Dave Brailsford was going to be in the director's box. But... Keys Voss, and uh, I, I think if you're Dave oh, Kevin Brailsford, Voss, as we call him on this podcast, Simon. <laughs> I, th- I think if you're Dave Brailsford, <laughs> you've um, you've got to be giving that guy a swerve, and um, it, it, you know, limiting your interactions with him, to say the least. Well, Ratcliffe famously called the the fifty million invested in the Fred is dumb money. So it'd be fascinating money, to get yeah. his opinion or his private opinion on uh, eighty six million pounds spent on Anthony. I imagine his language would be pretty colourful. They would never go on record with that, would that, they? Yeah, that that was that was that was worse than dumb. I think it's safe to say. And again, when <laughs> that money was spent, obviously you, you don't want to hammer a player straight away before he's even played for the club. But we all thought at the time we all said like. You, this really needs to work for United because they've really overspent on this player. This player's played for Ten Hag as well. He's coming from um, a league that nobody's going to watch in, in their downtime. It, there, are, there are some really big issues with this, and look how it's look how it's panned out. I mean, the, the, he's he's still not got a goal or assist this season. It's it's that that is an embarrassing embarrassing transfer and. Um, unfortunately for Anthony, he, he could well be remembered as as the worst signing of this post Ferguson era. He has been so bad; he's made uh, spending nearly hundred million pounds on Paul Pogba look like money well spent. <laughs> and that is a huge statement. Uh, well, and yeah. Samuel, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Stephen. And just before we go, just a little note from the podcast producer. I want to turn your attention to a special Sunday show this week with United playing on Monday, of course. We've got Wigan in the FA Cup. Seb Parkinson and Tyrone Marshall, our esteemed colleague, are going to get together and chew over the fat and the latest United news over the weekend. And we've also got a special guest, a Wigan athletic journalist, Nick Seddon, who will give us insight from behind enemy lines into what to expect from hosts at the DW Stadium. So uh, after that, we'll be back in the studio on Tuesday to review the game of course me and Samuel will be on then and we'll report any latest updates around the club as usual so thank you very much have a great weekend and hopefully enjoy the game